Yes. So welcome to another show. Today we have Matt Larson on, who is an expert on large-scale change to sustainability and is the author of the book, How Building the Future Really Works. So welcome to today's show, Matt. Thank you very much, Jivan. So the word sustainability, what does that really mean to, to you? Well, sustainability means that uh, we change to a society where we don't use more resources than we act than we uh, than we need, and that we our consumption patterns and um, ways of running our society uh, leaves enough resources and a clean envi a clean environment for future generations to um, uh, fulfill their needs and live a good life. Okay, so in terms of sustainability, then obviously you've you've written a book about it. What is it within that broader space? Because as you said, it's it's quite a broad topic. What is it within that space that you have expertise on, and that you can see real change in? I've studied the large scale change to a sustainable future, uh, in particular the uh, change to electromobility, um, change to electric vehicles, uh, cars lorries, buses, uh, but also uh, the change to a circular economy on a large scale. And what I've found through these uh, studies and uh, analyses is that a lot more resources will be needed to do these changes than uh, most people realize, and definitely much more than uh, governments and decision makers realize. And it's we need to, to um, focus uh, resources in particular areas in order to uh, succeed with the changes that we plan to do in the future. But with, with regards to electric cars, obviously the UK are bringing in that ban, aren't they, in future where, you know, you can no longer own a petrol or diesel car. But is that in itself really sustainable? Because as you mentioned, the amount of electricity that's going to be needed to be used, yes, the emissions might be less, but Where's the electricity coming from? It's still coming from fossil fuels and other areas. Is that what you're saying? That the the you're basically moving a problem from A to B with actually no real improvement there? Well, uh, the decision that's been made is to uh, ban the sales of new petrol and diesel cars from 2035. Uh, so uh, it will still be legal to own uh, such a car. And there is no plans to ban uh, the, the ownership of petrol and diesel cars, but it's <clears throat> the um, amount of resources that will be needed in order to make it possible to ban the sales of petrol and diesel cars and make it possible for most people to own and drive uh, electric cars from that year uh, will be so large that um, it will be require a huge effort, a huge investment uh, from uh, utilities, um, municipalities, um, co companies that run car parks, and many other uh, types of, of uh, companies that will need to invest in, in the charging infrastructure and reinforcement of power grids and additional power generation. So it's not really realistic for the to ban the sales of petrol and diesel cars from that year um, because it's... Um, 25% of the UK current UK pop generation of electricity will be needed to fuel all the um, 
the cars had they been electric and that's a huge investment and that's that amounts to um actually um, nine uh, nuclear reactors in terms of electricity production don't you think that the there is a possibility as the government have done in the past where they reverse decisions so in this case they get close to the time and they realize actually well for me just looking at it very briefly number one as, as you said the amount of electricity that's going to be needed number two how many people can actually afford to buy an electric car? Diesel and petrol cars, you know, you've got 10, 15-year-old cars. Um, and yes, you know, they're going to ban the sale of them. But actually, is there going to be more of an underlying um, inability to use those cars as well? So obviously, you've already got the ULEZ in, in London and Birmingham. Is there going to be something even more substantial than that in order to combat things? And yes. Is there an underlying agenda, possibly, to, to all of this? I don't think there's an under, underlying agenda apart from uh, uh, making society sustainable in various ways. Um, and that's a big goal. But uh, I think there's a misunderstanding related to uh, the amount of resources that will be needed in order to do this, because the amount of resources has have never been dis discussed in uh, poli political debates. It's just been taken for granted that this can be done um, quite easily. But politicians, um, sustainability experts, and other people who have debated this have never uh, dug into how much electricity will be needed to uh, run all cars and an increasing share of um, lorries and buses on electricity. And <clears throat> that needs to be um, investigated because it's it's very easy to to see that in the same way that uh, um, a petrol car may need uh, 0.6 uh, liters of um, petrol for for every 10 kilometers you want to go, uh, it's um, it's easy to say that for every 10 kilometers you want to go by a uh, electric car you need 3,000 kilowatt hours. Uh, no, not not for uh, every Every car will need for the average driving uh, during a year uh, of um, 12,000 kilometers, they will need uh, 3,000 kilowatt hours, which is fairly a fairly large amount of electricity. And if you multiply that by the number of cars in the UK, which are 32 million, <clears throat> you find that you will need 100 terawatt hours of electricity every year and that's a very simple cal calculation <clears throat> and it's it's very relevant uh, it, there is no um no risk that that is is uh, wrong because that's what you need in order to drive uh, that number of electric cars on el electricity and <clears throat> 100 terawatt hours is 30 percent of the uk current um uh, power generation of 325 terawatt hours per year and in order to distribute that amount <clears throat> through uh, transmission grids, the big national grids, high-voltage um, high grids, and the regional grids, and down to the local grids where you have your um, where, where you plug your car into the the um, uh, socket, you <clears throat> you need to expand all these types of grids uh, in various places because a lot of electricity will be needed where not so much electricity is needed today. So grids are not built in order to distribute 
power to the places where a lot of people want to charge their vehicles. Yeah, I mean, So... the thing, the thing is, like, you thought about this, and the, my, my question would be then, shouldn't surely someone within that department or who's driven the change for this for this sort of electricity um, based cars as opposed to to to, to sort of fuel based, let's say, they would have thought about this. Now, obviously, for me as well, it's not just about the electricity versus the petrol. I've got a 10-year-old, well, 20-year-old almost, BMW M3, and I've got a, a fairly newish Mazda at the moment. Well, not newish, but a Mazda as well. Now, for me, I could use those cars for the rest of my life, and they would have less of an impact on the society and landscape than buying a new car. Because if you look at the Tesla cars, for example, the amount of mining of cobalt and, and things like that actually has a more detrimental impact on the, on the environment. As well as that, actually, when you look to uh, dispose of those batteries, that causes even more issues. So I think sustainability goes further than maybe just the, the petrol versus the electricity argument um, in, in terms of that. So in terms of solution, then, do you have a solution for this or is it a case of just looking at the problems and saying it's not going to work? Well, in order to, it has to be done because we need to change um, transport systems and uh, convert to uh, uh, sustainable and renewable fuels. So it has to be done in some way, but we can't do it at that pace and we can't do it without a plan for the, the different uh, investments that will be made. Um, the um, This is similar to to a, uh, any big project where you, for example, uh, a construction project. Constru construction com companies still need drawings and project plans in order to build a house, even though they have been built houses for, for decades. So we can't do without a plan just to build a house. And we can't either do without a plan in order to change society on this massive scale. So we we need to make sure, governments need to make sure that all the aspects of this change are taken care of. And actually the question you asked whether no one has thought of this before, it's, I, I haven't found anyone. And that's very strange because I thought the same. I thought also that uh, someone uh, must have thought about this, but, I've, I've spent the past 18 years trying to look for those people, and I've found people who've been uh, sustainability experts and who are interested in, in reducing the emissions of carbon dioxide. But um, uh, I haven't found very many who have looked into this, this um, resource aspect of, um, of the change. And in fact, um, earlier this week, uh, the uh, CEO of Volvo Corporation, the manufacturer of Volvo trucks, buses, uh, he said that uh, in order to charge uh, 1,000 electric trucks at the same time in parallel uh, with high-speed charging, there will be a need for one, the, the um, capacity of one nuclear reactor. So just 1,000 electric lorries uh, charged in parallel at the same time at high speed will require all the capacity of one nuclear reactor, which is something that, that most people don't seem to, ha to have thought about. And he said, I don't, I'm not in general in favor of government intervention or government 
driven um, investment programs and so on. But governments need to st step up here and take a role in this change. And this is Volvo, uh, that is the global leader in, in um, heavy trucks, in the heavy truck market. So he also seems to think that uh, no one has thought about this before, or f too few people have, have considered this. Thing is like for me the word sustainable doesn't make sense in this remit because like nature is sustainable like the waste product of an animal is the food for something else we breathe out carbon dioxide the the plants do that and and basically any waste products is used for something else so for me a sustainable car would be something that generates kinetic energy as it moves and it charges itself it when you break the heat energy is used the sound energy of the tires all of these things and using that for me that's that's sustainability not fuel versus electric electricity now coming on to electricity there's there's two types isn't there of, of electricity there's alternating current and direct current nikola tesla obviously the inventor of many great inventions including the radio and etc etc could there not be a way to use alternating current in order to charge everything at once using nothing direct? Well, first of all, uh, we, we have a current system. Uh, I, I would like to um, uh, say something about your vision of sustainability. And I agree. Uh, of course, the uh, uh, ideal would be that we could drive, a, drive cars that generate kinetic energy and we could could uh, um, they could be m much more sustainable, perhaps, than uh, uh, any of the uh, the fuels that are discussed at present? But the problem is that we have a system in in place already that's not sustainable. We need to change that to something that we to, to some technology that we actually can develop over the the next couple of years, because oil is not a finite resource either, and that there. there there is a limit to how long we can drive cars on um, uh, on petrol and diesel. So we need to realize that we have a very a huge transport system that needs to to continue because we're depending we're depending on um, car transportation, uh, lorry transportation by lorry, transportation by bus, and so on. Um, and we need to to maintain that system and and be able to. Uh, to charge or to um, um, do transportation in the future at the same level or at a similar level that we are doing today. And what the options that we have are the different technologies that are available and that have been de developed to a certain point far enough to, to be possible to, to implement on a large scale. So that is the um, uh, sort of of um, limitation of, of what what to what we can do, and so the um, the opportunities to to select the best possible system and that would be best possible system from a theoretical perspective is not that great. And now I forgot your your next question. Could you repeat that? What was it about the alternating current? Yes, the alternating current. Uh, yes, we, we do have a um, certain amount of electricity and we can transform electricity in various ways. We can, can uh, transform it to um, uh, high voltage, low voltage, and we can transform it to um, alternating current, current and direct current in various ways. And we use direct current for um, 
transmission uh, grids, the high voltage grids. We use alternating current for um, distribution grids and and our for our house appliances and so on. So and that's for practical purposes it's it's more efficient to do it and, and to to minimize losses and so on and we also have installations here everywhere that um, are built up based on the grids and the the technologies that we have and when we plan for the new future we can't change perhaps to the even if there were a uh, a technology were a solution that would be much better than this, the ones we already have. We can't simply change everything because it would be too high cost and take much, too much time. So we need to to build something that that uh, makes an intelligent use of the resources we already have and builds on the resources we already have while we transfer society transfer society uh, into some uh, into the future into a future where we can do further transformation but we can't do everything at once so what sort of time scales would you envisage then if it's obviously you're saying that 2035 is too soon um where would you see things going would it be 2050 would it be something further along the line um and again would it be a case of not necessarily rushing things, but making sure we have the correct infrastructure. And um, because as I said, I think, again, Tesla invented these things ages ago where you can turn a light on from across the room without needing a, you know, a, a wire. We do that with broadband, don't we? It's everything's through the air. Is there not a way that we can use electricity to do that, that that would solve you know, all, all issues? Is that is that the key, possibly? Well, there are solutions for inductive um power um, transmission, but inductive can be done over short distances only. Um, you can't transmit uh, electricity large dis long distances uh, via inductive uh, technologies at present at least, um, because they it, it then disappears into uh, thin air as heat. So um, the um, it would be possible to um, again to change um, radically I think but we need to make sure that we have an understanding of the different changes that we need to make and as we don't have that at present we don't people don't know um, or very few people have have an understanding of what will be needed and in the absence of that understanding we can't make detailed plans for the change so much more analysis needs to be made of how far we can change based on the ex existing resources, how rapidly we can, can expand power generation, how rapidly we can expand uh, power grids, how rapidly we can expand charging infrastructure, vehicle fleets, because all of those have uh, are facing different limitations in terms of uh, the opportunity to change. And um, so it's, it's not possible to to say, for me at least, to say how quickly we could do it, because it it it, it needs to be analysed, and we need to understand what what different investments that will be needed. One further limitation and bottleneck is the 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 little the few people who uh, really understand this and who are able to to uh, take on these 
different challenges. I am the one of the few people in the world who has studied the large scale um, change uh, from the resources perspective. And very few, few people have done that. And many more than I need to build this competence in order for us to be able to um, do the change. And there are also too few electricians, too few pro project leaders for, um, for installation projects. And there are very few what I call electromobility strategists and electromobility architects who can build and design the systems uh, that we need for electromobility in the future. So, um, and, for, and also there are differences between countries. So I, ha I have studied Europe as a whole. I can make some examples from Germany, the UK, Sweden, um, Italy, Poland, etc. Et I can uh, mention some examples of the, the change challenges in, in the United States. But these are very different for different countries. So the pace that we can do in Sweden may not be the same pace that you can do in the UK or that they can do in the United States because there are differences in terms of power generation, power grids, um, vehicle fleets, and also substantial gener uh, differences in how far people drive, which determines the, the amount of electricity each person will need. In the US, they drive twice as far every per year on average as we do in Europe, which means basically that they need twice as much electricity to drive that vehicle fleet compared to how much we need here in Europe. So so could there be a case then of, you mentioned distances where there's um, just everyone owns doesn't own a car. It's like where there's cars already charged and you know, you're coming to a next junction or the next charging port, you swap yours, you take the new car and you go off and you keep doing that. Is it a case of maybe that being the case? Because I know the, the World Economic Forum and Davos have a, a philosophy that we're going to own nothing and be happy about it. Is this part of that process as well? That's uh, another idea. But with each change, each change requires resources. None of these changes can be done without resources. And it the most resource intensive change is often the change to people's lifestyles and their behaviors so just ch change getting people to accept the idea of not owning their car not owning their hairbrush not, not uh, or or dryer hair dryer um not owning their their uh, tools um uh, uh, power tools, etc., and going to some place instead where they can rent power tools, uh, cars, etc., each time they need them, or having carpools out in the uh, in the cities and towns where people can can um, book a car and get a car uh, in their local area whenever they need. That type of behavior is a is a big change, and some people do it. We call them innovators and early adopters uh, from a marketing perspective. Innovators and early adopters are happy to test a new technology and a, a new type lifestyle. For example, they ha they're happy to to uh, pay a little more for for a new service or a new uh, type of product. But in order to get the majority of people to adopt new lifestyles and and uh, products and so on, you get you need uh, change 
programs and you you need to make sure that the new alternatives are as cost effective and as user friendly as the uh, alternatives we want to leave behind so are these the sorts of things that you talk about in your book then um do yes. you show the research do you provide the problems with possible solutions uh, in there as well and is it a case of arguing Again, we'll use the initial example of 2035 being too soon because of X, Y, Z reasons. And this is what I would suggest based on the research. Yes, uh, absolutely. I I take a lot of examples from uh, the past, uh, like the Apollo program uh, and how uh, NASA were in charge of, um, uh, well, building up the technologies from uh, basic, virtually scratch to um, to fully functioning uh, large-scale technologies for sending a man to the moon and take, bringing him safely back to Earth. Um, and the development of com computers, the development of, of um, airplanes and um, aviation technologies, all, all of those, uh, also mobile telephony and, and the, these, uh, the merge between uh, computers and mobile phones. Uh, all of those examples indicate that very large time spans are needed in order to um, develop the new technologies. And it's often not until 50, 60, 100 years into a technology development that we get the, this thrust of usage where they become uh, useful for a wide range of purposes and so on. Computers were uh, computer development was started in uh, 1940s after the Second World War, and it was not until the uh, 2000s, early 2000s, that we uh, um, that they became came inexpensive enough for everyone to use them. And we had the development of mobile mobile phones which was based on, on previously um, radio communication technologies used for, by police uh, forces for uh, police vehicles and so on. And that, that was packaged into mobile phones and then uh, continued as the development of mobile phones. And that development has been going on for a large, large part of the 20th century. So, these developments take a long time, and it takes a long time for the new technologies to become um, usable and uh, inexpensive enough for everyone to be able to purchase a mobile phone and use it on a regular regular basis. Is it could it not be a case of the other way around, where when you set a deadline, you are then forced to come up with solutions ahead of that time? If you always wait for you know things to just to happen you maybe don't have the, the level of urgency you need to get these things done. Is that maybe why they've done it, to force innovation and force uh, solutions ahead of that time? Yes, uh, but even, even if you try to force uh, the innovation and development and enforce investments to be, be, to be made, you still need a plan. Uh, the Apollo Pro, you, you even need more of a plan. You need a more detailed plan and a more... Uh, more um, closely managed change program in order to compress the the time period of the change, because they did this in um, in um, the Apollo program. In, in for with computers, I have the impression that they just took every step 
one at a time and they they saw they saw the results and they said oh we could use this computer now to do this and we we oh now now we're we have a lot of computers with a lot of information now we're uh, now we need to build a network in the united states so that the um, universities and research centers um, are, are not so vulnerable to attacks from um, our en enemies. So they built the internet, basically, uh, the um, ARPANET, uh, as it was called when it was first developed. So they didn't do that against a specific timescale from the beginning. Uh, but in the Apollo program, uh, John F. Kennedy said that I challenged the, the nation to um, send a man to the moon and bring him safely back to Earth by the end of this decade. Um, and that was that forced NASA to make a very, very detailed plan and very, very, very detailed program where they basically, a few months after this challenge, this decision, decision by, by the president had made an... Uh, well, identified all the aspects that had, all the technologies that had to be developed and all the system solutions that had to be, be developed for this to succeed. And they had started to procure the various um, development and, and test um, facilities and, and, um, and started to, to make the plan for the implementation, the test um, the te uh, um, the test missions uh, that were they, they had to do with um, the uh, Saturn V rocket uh, before they could do it, could send them uh, use it for for people to go to to the moon. So it's um, with a, a more compressed program, you need a much tighter plan. You need much much more detailed planning, and and you need need bigger budget for for the project management, not the other way around. So just setting a tight goal, a very ambitious goal, doesn't mean that you will solve it if you don't have an idea of how it can be solved, or who's going to solve it, or who what resources they will need in order to solve it. So in terms of the final solution, the 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 final idea, what is your sort of be all and end all idea that your book has basically alluded to. Well, it's it's the the idea is that uh, um, in order to do this type of very ambitious change uh, in a short space of time, we will need the plans. And the the only organization or the only only player that can take the overall responsibility for for this is the government. They don't need to do all the investment. But they are the ones, just in, in the case, like in the case of NASA in, uh, and John F. Kennedy in the Apollo program, they didn't do everything. They didn't build build the, rock, the rockets. They didn't, but they managed the process and they procured the development activities and they identified what is present, what do we have, and what do we need to develop. And they said, oh yes, we do have computers and they can do this and this and this, but. In order to do the Apollo program, we need to do this and this and this and this in, uh, in addition. And so we need to assign some uh, development uh, development pro pro uh, projects to uh, suitable 
suppliers like IBM and and others uh, to to develop these f- functionality in the computers. And they said we do we do have these different components technologies that we have, but in order to send them to the moon and, and back, we need them in more miniature scale and we need them uh, in a lighter. Uh, lighter version, um, because otherwise we won't be able to um, to get the rocket out of the um, atmosphere. So, uh, so they they uh, had to procure technology development, but they also had to to procure miniaturization and and weight reduction projects for technologies they already had, because they had to have uh, lighter cha- lighter chairs in the in the um, or seats in the. Um, in the rocket and and is in the space module and and so on and they had to etc cetera, etc cetera. and so th- there were a lot of innovation that had to be made even though some things were in place and in this case we have power grids we have uh, power plants we have electric cars but they're not as you indicated as well they're not inexpensive enough for everyone to buy them and we're not sure that they will become inexpensive enough for enough people to buy them in 2035. We do have enough, we do have um, power plants, but we don't have enough power generation to sustain an entire fleet of electric cars of 32 million in the UK, for example, and we don't have enough power plants in order to to, uh, charge all trucks and buses that will be will need charging. So a lot of investments will be, have to be made, and they can't be made in a random fashion, just by because uh, governments have decided that they um, uh, will uh, uh, ban the sales of power and petrol and diesel cars from 2035. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think there is something that needs to to definitely be done. I think that timescale is. Uh, too soon, um, as as you said, but we'll see what happens. You know, things do change over time. They have changed, um, uh, legislation, um, because of timescales and 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 money, etc. Um, is there anything you that we've maybe not discussed that you want to get across in terms of final points? Yes, um, there are so many things because <laughs> with with quite a few people who. With a very small number of people who have uh, uh, looked into these things, uh, not so much has been dis- discussed already. But if we look at the different changes that are planned to a sustainable society, each one of these will require very large investments and very large change programs if they are going to be done on a large scale. So, for example, to implement um Plastics, uh, biological plastics or renewable plastics on a large scale, a large, very, very large volumes of uh, feedstock for plastics production will have to be found. And we need to go away from um, petrol and from uh, petroleum and from uh, uh, natural gas as feedstocks for plastics production. But it's really difficult to identify new raw materials that can be used for um, plastics production on the scale that so that it could could replace um, the present uh, production uh, production processes so uh, for
Yes. I think you just okay. skipped that last minute. So, so yeah, if you could just repeat that bit, bit for me. Yes. Um, we, we need to plan uh, other changes as well um, in quite some detail. And we need to identify the ways that we can change and what we need to change. Fantastic. So if anyone wants to hear about more of your ideas in your book, where can they get access to that? And obviously, if they wanted to reach out to you, where can they reach out to you as well, Matt? The book is uh, at present available on all, all Amazon platforms, Amazon UK, um, uh, Amazon.com. So it can be bought in a digital version and uh, it's currently at a discounted price of $3, $3.17. Um, I think it's uh, $2.60 or something like that in the UK. So, and uh, the, um, it's available in paperback and hardback as well. Fantastic. So I'll leave all of this in the notes, of course. But thanks very much for being on the show. And yeah, I definitely agree there is something that needs to be done. I don't think we're ready for, for the change, um, but time will tell. Thank you very much.